Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am joined with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today we are bringing you the final installment into our Princess Diana mini series today, the long awaited part, I'm sure. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the timeline of Princess Diana's death and a little bit about her funeral. And then we will get into the highly anticipated conspiracy theories. But before we get into that, if you would like to hang out on social media with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at 3 Spooked girls. We also have our amazing Facebook group that you can interact with Jessica and I a bit more if you want kind of that personal feel. We're like a little family over there. That is Three Spooked Girls official. All socials and everything are also linked in the link tree that I have in the show notes for you. And Jessica and I are also on TikTok. My handle is spooky underscore sleuth and hers is spooky aunt Jessie. And that's all in that lovely link tree as well. And if you would like to support the show, you can head to that link tree I've mentioned three times now or patreon.com backslash three spooked girls for as little as a dollar you get one bonus episode a month plus access to the all tier backlog i believe there's i don't know i think almost 70 episodes there i don't know there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot plus our og episodes that we took down due to sound quality but if you would like to check that out in the very very early days of us you certainly can Two and Up gets Jessica Slaughter's movie reviews and plot lines, and that also starts for our virtual swag. We have a desktop background you can get at that tier. And Five and Up, you get video content, which includes a monthly live stream and my Haunted Ground series, which is on haunted or possessed objects and a caffeinated beverage suggestion of my choice. And Ten and Up, you get your dedicated episode. You guys may have listened to our Spookster Club selects. They get mugs. There's all kinds of fun stuffs. And we got a ringtone now. It exists. We figured it out. So it is there for you guys. If you want to check that out, head on over to Patreon. We would appreciate the support. But before we dive into the content, we're going to take a quick promo break and come back and just have the drink for us. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicholas Haskins, host of the fifth annual live stream for The Cure. This year, podcast partners and content creators from all over the world will join me from May 19th to the 23rd to try to raise $15,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Each year, I am reminded time and again of the incredible power and compassion of the indie creators, audiences, and podcasters who set aside their time, energy, and money to make this event a success. 
I am overwhelmed again this year with an outpouring of support and passion from others who are dedicated to the goal of a future immune to cancer. I wanted to take a moment while you're listening to this show and say thank you. Thank you, and I'm so eternally grateful for you. I like to say together, we can make a difference. And because of you, we have. From the bottom of my heart and from the entire team that makes Livestream for the Cure possible, thank you. To learn more about this year's event, please visit LivestreamForTheCure.com. All right. Well, welcome back, guys. I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Jessica to tell us our drink this week. So with it being spring and all, I was like, oh, I want a cocktail that's going to be like nice and light and wonderful tasting. And I thought about it's like, I like a whiskey sour on occasion. So I found this. It's called the Blushing Whiskey Sour. And it has blackberries, simple lemon syrup, Irish whiskey, and crushed ice. The recipe will be up tomorrow on all our socials, but it is cute. I love when they garnish things with fruit. It makes me very happy. So you're definitely going to want to check that out. It's very pretty. Yes. It's also on our Pinterest, which is with all the other socials, too. With moving craziness going on right now, I've kind of, I think I've forgotten like a week or two maybe with the drinks. (laughs) So you can always go to Pinterest and check, too. I'm I'm sorry. Like, I am around still on socials, but it is just nuts. So stuff's kind of out of whack a little bit on that, but it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) All right. So And when you guys hear this, too, like, I'll be getting... Really in the depths of it at that point, because this is like mm-hmm. mid-ish April. Good Lord. All right. Okay. Well, Princess Diana, the last part. If you are new and have not heard the other two parts, highly recommend you check that out first because there's a lot of background and other interesting information you will have heard me dying of laughter in part two on certain cringy things Jessica told us about with Charles and Camilla. So, you know. <laughs> All right. So before we get into the timeline of Diana and Dodie arriving to Paris, there's some things you'll want to pocket or take note that happened prior to this. So we're going to go back 10 months prior. So a couple months after the divorce, she had written Paul a letter that said, quote, the next few months are the most difficult in my life. I fear that my husband is planning an accident in my car slash head injuries in order to make the path clear for him to marry Tiggy, end quote. Now, if you were like me, you're like, who the fuck is Tiggy? Wow. (laughs) That's a horrible nickname. Right. Because everything had been about Camilla at this point, right? Well, according to Diana, she and Camilla were both used as a, quote, decoy by Prince Charles because really, he wanted to marry this woman named Tiggy, and she was Harry and William's former nanny. I found it on accident, so I figured it was worth mentioning. We all know the whole thing with, like, him being with Camilla and stuff, so maybe that's just what she thought and she was wrong, because there's also, like, I'm not gonna, I won't get into theories and stuff, but, you know, I don't know, but I was like, I found this extra tea for y'all, so here you go. (laughs) I didn't find that extra tea, so, you know. I found it on accident when I was trying to find something else and it was just like I was reading an article on a different part of this case and then it was like linked the letters I was like oh why don't I'm just gonna click it to make sure I quoted this right whatever and then it brought that up I was like okay all right all right so you know rabbit holes that's the thing with this case is that as time goes along more people feel comfortable speaking about it like Prince Charles is remarried he has a whole different life the whole like you know the firm and the institution have kind of like laughed off that anything could be conspiracy with Diana. So anytime someone brings something up, 
It's just another way for them to go, that's ridiculous. That couldn't have happened. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And they tried to be like, oh, well, Paul could have just written this letter and all this other shit. And it's like, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't believe any Kool-Aid you're trying to give me, so bye bye <laughs> So, yes. Anyway, she did date this letter and told him to keep it just in case. And Paul thought she was just being extra paranoid at the time for, like, no reason. He's like, it's fucking fine. Calm down. He said they'd done multiple extensive searches at her home and also in the vehicles and things like that. And so, like, they checked the brakes, the full nine yards. But he did say, you know... We didn't know what we were looking for. He's like, so we could have missed something? I don't know. Like, you know, like, they don't really know. But he was like, you know, just never found anything. But back to Paris. Okay. So Dodie and Princess Diana, they took a private jet to arrive to the Ritz Hotel at 4.30 p.m. on August 30th, 1997. And fun fact, this was owned by Dodie's father. And, you know, because that was someone they trusted, that made sense why they would go there first type of thing. Of course, paparazzi was still following them. Like, fucking flies on shit because it's a new boyfriend and, you know, all of that stuff. Like, they had the whole vacation. And Dodie and Diana had went to the Imperial Suite for the evening with the security teams. And shortly after settling into the suite, Princess Diana called William and Harry and they chatted for about an hour. So that was until like 5.40 p.m. And this would actually be the last phone call with the boys, which just breaks my heart so much. Oh, my God. I have some quotes later that I'm like, I was trying not to cry. It's fine. At this time, they were at Balmoral with Prince Charles and all of them. So obviously, like, they were having fun and everything. But what just kind of, like, was heartbreaking was that the boys, they said that, like, or they're men now, obviously, but you know what I mean. You know, they regret how that call went. They were like, yeah, we chatted with her. But of course, like, their kids, they wanted to get back to playing or, you know, like, whatever activities they were doing. So they, like, talked to their mom, like, okay, distracted, whatever. But it's like, you can't know these things. That just breaks my heart for them. You know what I mean? Because they just thought it was a normal phone call with their mom and they'd see her soon. Right. And I think that's how a lot of people feel. I know that that's how I felt when my mom died. Like I had brushed off a lunch. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, you know, the next time you're in town, I'll see you. And then that was Tuesday or that was Monday. And then like Friday, she was gone. So you have no idea. Right. So go to lunch with your moms. Yeah. Those that have good moms, please hug them. So after the call to the boys, Diana made another call, this time to Paul, and she said that she thought Dodie was going to give her a ring, that they would be going to a jeweler and whatnot in about an hour, and they had this discussion of, like, what she should do. If you guys haven't noticed that there was this theme, there was this dynamic with their relationship, their friendship. Yes, he was her butler, but they were definitely like family, you know, like truly. So she always went to him for advice. And she even told him, like, you were the only man I've ever trusted out of anybody in her life. He was the only one. So he told her she should put it on her right hand on the fourth finger. And he was like, yep, she got it. She said it back to me like a couple times to like ingrain it in her brain. And that was that. By 7 p.m., you know, they had went, come back and all that. And they left through the back door of the Ritz and headed to Dodie's apartment, even though his dad didn't want him to, mainly because like of all the paparazzi, he was concerned about their safety. So he's like, why don't you just stay here? Because like you're already fucking here and Mm -hmm. we got you. But they went. 
and they hung out for a couple hours and planned to go to dinner at 9 p.m. Originally, they were planning on going to the Benoit Paris, but there was so many damn paparazzi that they decided to forego that because if they went and ate there, there was like no way they'd have any privacy at all, they thought. So they decided to go back to the Ritz. And, you know, like I said, his dad owned it. So like they do it, they'd be taken care of for security and stuff like that. So... Right. They do arrive to the Ritz by 9.50 p.m., and this time they use the front door and go to the restaurant inside called, oh, God, let Tara mispronounce all these French names, Les Espadon. And Diana had ordered Dover Sole, vegetable tempura, and a mushroom and asparagus omelet. But before they could eat, they were worried that there was pops hanging around in the restaurant and shit, so they had their order sent up to the Imperial Suite where they were at earlier. So they went up there, they ate, relaxed, hung out, all that good stuff. And then after this, it is seen on security footage, them leaving the Ritz through the back entrance this time because they were going to go back to Dodie's apartment. They looked happy. Diana was smiling. Everything seemed fine. And this would put them leaving the Ritz at 12.20 a.m., so technically the next day now. And their driver, Henri Paul, and a bodyguard from Dodie's family named Trevor Reese Jones were with them, and they were all in the Mercedes W140. Now, again, the paparazzi are like cockroaches that won't fucking die. So there was about 30 paparazzi outside the front entrance of the hotel. So this is why, you know, it'd be smart. They use the back exit. And... One note that will come up later, I'm sure, is that there was a motorcyclist who was closely following them and essentially cut them off. And there was like this flashlight. This would lead to the crash stuff. But I just had to mention that because I'm like, mm, 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 pocket, pocket, pocket. I'm going to do that a lot. It's fine. <laughs> but something big to note is that when they left, they weren't wearing seatbelts. And this is a huge thing because like everyone who knew Diana personally, and even in a ton of the pictures, um, when you watch documentaries and stuff, she's super strict and like religiously wore her seatbelt like every fucking time, no matter what. So this was something people thought was weird. So, you know, and also to note with this vehicle, the speed they were going to, it was said, now this is like rough estimate because it does kind of range because it's kilometers to miles per hour. Essentially, it's they were going about like close to 70 miles per hour and the posted speed limit was less than half of that. It was about 30 miles per hour. Oh, God. Big difference. Yes, yes. And it was also noted, which I found was weird, was that the bodyguard, the one spoilers, he's the only one who lives, he actually put his seatbelt on shortly before this crash happened. And apparently that's like against protocol for bodyguards. So I don't know. You can do what you want with that. I just thought it was interesting to note. So after that, all those random little tidbits. Okay. So the crash. So like I said, there's this whole thing with the motorcyclist and the flash of light and things like that. But the crash happened at 1225 a.m. It crashed into the 13th pillar of the Ponte Alma Bridge, which says traverses the river scene something. Sorry. They were literally less than two miles from the hotel. They did not get very far. And Trevor would be the only one, like I said, to survive. It was noted that Dodie and Henri died essentially immediately at the scene. We're going to come back to Henri 
in a minute. We're going to come back to him in a minute. Now, with this crash, there was actually a doctor who was traveling at the same time it happened and saw it and pulled over. And, you know, he had like basic first aid stuff with him. So he tried to do what he Mm -hmm. could for Diana until the ambulance arrived. She was still alive at this point. Early reports would say that she had a concussion, a broken arm, and cut thigh. There's like a I forgot what the name of the artery was, but there's like an artery that had gotten cut on her. So it's like serious, obviously. Along with this, she also had massive injuries to her chest. There were reports saying that she was conscious at the time. She was like talking and being like, oh my God, what has happened? Like calling for Dodie and, you know, things like that. Also, fucking paparazzi was there. Some tried to help while others were pieces of shit and were just taking, snapping a bunch of pictures, doing nothing. I'm just like, y'all are fucking scum. Just saying. It's like really hard to like paparazzi when Mm -hmm. like we've looked at so many different things. Like when you look at the Framing Britney documentary and then just like every single celebrity, every single time they step out of their house, somebody is trying to take a picture of them. And then the excuse is, well, you're a public figure. It doesn't matter. Like, it matters. Like, she should have been able to go to her boyfriend's apartment. But, like, there's people fucking dead. Right? Like, and especially because, like, the British royal family has always had a relationship with a paparazzi where they would be like, okay, we will do a photo thing. So that could have been set up. But, like, they're fucking vultures. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. And then kind of little, like, little sidebar about them. Apparently, like, seven were detained and arrested. And they actually took their film from them and stuff, but they'd be let go later. So, you know, there's that. So EMS is said to get there by 1230. So just, you know, five minutes after the crash. So not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. It was said that they used an electric chainsaw to get her out of the car by 1 a.m. So, yes, they took 30 minutes to get her out, which I'm like, I get they had to be extremely careful, but like. I can't see it taking half an hour, but I don't know. I don't know these things, so I'm not going to be an asshole yet. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, whatever. But after being removed from the car, it is said she went into cardiac arrest and they had to resuscitate her right there on the scene to get her heart beating again. And they actually kept her on the scene until 1.20 a.m. trying to stabilize her. And apparently this is French protocol. Because as we know, like most of the listeners in the States, like it's scoop and go. Right. Get you over there. But apparently over there, it's stabilize, then go, which it's like, we'll get into it in a second. It's fine. Well, most EMTs in the States, EMS services, they like understand like how Mm -hmm. to do that stuff while traveling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You could just always ask, insert question here (laughs) for my (laughs) father-in-law. Mark, what is the protocol? We'll get back to everyone. (laughs) Yes, yes. But yeah, basically, I don't know. I don't know. It's just really frustrating. But like people think that like if they had just actually assessed the situation and taken her in right away, maybe she would have been alive type of thing, you know? Right. I don't know. I just I wanted to put it out there that technically they were doing what they were had been trained and taught to do. But at the same time, it's like there's got to be exception to the rule. Just saying like, you know frustrating especially because the longer they waited there at the scene the way i would look at it is the more people could have more paparazzi could have gotten there Mm -hmm. more people could have made it impossible for the ambulance to get away once they got her stable and into the ambulance yeah and then you have a car that was just in a car accident and like a fire could happen someone could 
not be paying attention and Mm -hmm. cause the domino effect of cars to get hit. Yeah. Yeah. No, for real. For real. It's just, ugh, so fucking frustrating. So they put her in the ambulance, but they didn't leave until 1.40, which I'm like, okay, so what the fuck were you doing for 20 minutes? Like, I don't fucking understand, but whatever. Again, ugh. It might have been that they needed to clear a path. Possibly, yeah. The traffic and stuff, that's fair. They passed what? Like, multiple hospitals. I can't remember. Was it like two? At least two. Two or three. I can't totally remember. So they passed multiple hospitals to get to the hospital they're gonna they're gonna go to, which is another like fancy French name I can't say, so I'm not gonna say it. But they stopped again. Literally right outside the fucking hospital. It was said to be like 30 seconds away. They could see the fucking entrance and they stopped because she was in cardiac arrest again and they had to revive her again. But it's like, why not have someone from the hospital or people from the hospital come meet you to help you transport her? Because obviously she's not in fucking good shape. Like, come on. One of the documentaries I saw stated that like, at least at the time, the French protocol was that if you were in an ambulance in cardiac arrest, they had to like treat you in the ambulance before they could move you. So it's a very much like stay and stabilize. So even though like they literally could have driven the ambulance into the hospital, but French protocol said like, you can't remove her from the ambulance until she's stable. That's so frustrating. I really hope they've changed stuff because of this. I didn't look into that. Like, oh God. Okay. So finally, 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 she gets into the hospital at 2.01 a.m. It's crazy. Yeah, guys. Over an hour and a half later. She was noted to still be alive at this time, but she was unconscious as expected. Doctors at the hospital, they performed a cardiac massage as the surgeons tried to repair a ruptured blood vessel near her heart, which was causing like massive, massive internal bleeding. Makes sense. While she was in surgery, of course, you know, family and the royals and all of them, thats they're starting to be notified like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Fucking Paul, though. Oh, my God. Here we go. Jesus Christ, you guys got to watch this documentary and cry your eyes out like we did. So he says that he got a call in the middle of the night, obviously, that CNN was reporting that Diana was in a crash. So he said he immediately called her cell phone. And even though this was the 90s, like she she kept it with her type of thing, which makes sense because she was like, you know, super like I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to say. Not super mom, but like she valued being a mom so much. That makes sure makes sense why, you know, in case anything happened to our kids. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I got that. So I don't think that's too weird. And it's also a matter of like if Princess Diana's cell phone was recovered by someone else. Mm-hmm. I don't think back then you could have like passcodes to lock your phone. No, you had like a flip phone or a Nokia. <laughs> Prince Charles would be able to, like, his phone number could become public. Yeah, exactly. And in the wrong hands, that could be really bad. hmm But she didn't have it this night. It was in the suite. So Princess Diana would be pronounced dead by 4.53 a.m. Interesting enough, in 2019, Dr. Richard Shepard, who's said to be Britain's top forensic pathologist, concluded that Diana died of a tiny injury that I'm we're probably going to get into more. It was basically a badly placed tear in a vein of her lung that was like super, super rare. He said, quote, her specific injury is so rare that in my entire career, I don't believe I've seen another, end quote. And this isn't some like brand new doctor. This is like a well fucking seasoned doctor, obviously, if he's like the top forensic pathologist, you know. And he literally thinks that if she had been wearing her seatbelt, she would have been alive. He had said, quote, had she been restrained, she probably would have appeared in public two days later with a black eye, perhaps a bit breathless from the fractured ribs and a broken arm in a sling, end quote. 
It's just so heartbreaking. So if you're one of those people that don't wear your seatbelts, please wear your fucking seatbelts. Please, 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 please. Yes. Oh, God. I have a friend who, like, refused, like, she thought it was cool to not wear a seatbelt. I'm like, the reason they have the slogan, seatbelts save lives, wear them properly, too. Yes. Like, if you're pregnant, like, look it up online. There are mm-hmm. ways that you should wear your seatbelt for children, even for adults. Like, sometimes I don't even think I'm wearing it correctly. So check it out online. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So obviously, before they made the public announcement, you know, families told, Paul's told, and he said, like, essentially he went into, like, Papa Bear mode at that point. Like, he said, quote, I need to be there for her. I need to protect her. And this is, like, even in death. Like, he knew she was gone, and I was just, like, bawling. I don't know. Like, I never cry with shit 99% of the time, and I'm just like, nope, I'm gonna <laughs> fucking cry during this whole documentary of Paul talking about this. Mm-hmm. It's fine. <laughs> and the anesthesiologist would make a public statement to the media saying, quote, an urgent surgery showed a severe wound to the left pulmonary vein. There we go. There's the vein I was talking about. Despite the closure of this wound and the two-hour external and internal cardiac massage, no official respiratory circulation could be established, end quote. And also during this time, so like essentially right before five, somewhere between that and six, that's when William and Harry were told about their mom. Mm. Um, They were at Balmoral with the queen and their dad and everything. So those were the two who told them. And when reflecting back on this, Harry has said there's like a documentary with them. It's like Diana or mother or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. I cried at that one, too. Yeah, for sure. He said, quote, one of the hardest things for a parent to have to do is to tell your children that your other parent has died. How do you deal with that? I don't know. But, you know, he was there for us, meaning their dad. He was the one out of the two left, and he tried to do his best and to make sure we were protected and looked after. But, you know, he was going through the same grieving process as well, end quote. And then William added into this, quote, I remember feeling just completely numb, disoriented, dizzy. You feel very very, very confused. And you keep asking yourself, why me? All the time. Why? What have I done? Why? Why has this happened to us? End quote. And that just, like, that just breaks my heart so bad, especially because it's, like, not discounting Harry at all, but, like, it's noted multiple times, like, William and, like, both her kids, they were just so close, you know? Right. And William was older to kind of, like, grasp it. Like, so was Harry, but it's, like, you know, he was... William was what, like 15, I think? Yeah, William was 15 and and Harry was either 12 turning 13 or was 13. Yeah, yeah, because he's only a couple years younger. Just like breaks my fucking heart so much. So heartbreaking. And like I have grieved a little bit Mm -hmm. when it's coming in my life. I don't know how I could do that on a public scale like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I'll – they talk about that in the funeral stuff that I'll talk about a little later. I'm just like – Poor kids, you poor kids. Oh my God. I just, it's like you want to hug them so much. Mm. It's so sad. Paul heads to Paris. It's like an hour flight. So he gets over there. And once he arrives to the hospital, because like Charles and them went too, obviously, but we're going to talk about Paul. He went to the room. And they took him next door, essentially. And he said that, like, when they were walking in the hallway, he saw where the guards were and all of that stuff. And he's like, I know she's in there. And he said, cue more crying. Let me just insert that. <laughs> he went in there and he saw, like, she was covered with a white sheet with her hands on top, her head and feet visible. And and that she was still warm. And he said to her, quote, wake up. You're asleep, aren't you? Wake up. 
And Paul also tells the person that interviewed him for the documentary that Diana believed when someone passed away, their spirit hangs around for a bit. And so he said he remembered this and said to her, you're here, aren't you? You're here watching me. And that he would make sure, you know, all of the arrangements and everything was exactly what she wanted. And he legit stayed with her body like the whole time. But I'm going to take a break from this, like, sadness for a second. There's some other things I want you guys to tuck away for later. I mentioned Paul says that she was still warm when when he got there, right? Well, here's a couple things to pocket that broke some laws. She was embalmed immediately. So obviously because they did this, there's no kind of like autopsy, extra tests, nothing. And that kind of raised some eyebrows as it should. Now, Henri, the driver, he was off duty but came back to work that night. Also, it was said that his blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. And something that comes out later because his family wanted him to get retested, he also had albendazole in his system and a camprostate along with high levels of CO2, which they tried to blame on the car after the crash, but his neck was legit broke on impact. So like, there's no breathing after that. There's not. So I can't remember if it is one of those, because obviously I'm not familiar with this type of thing, but I don't know if it was one of those two drugs. But if not, he was also on like a medication to help with alcohol cravings because he was in recovery, but it was noted he had like two drinks that night. But it still really baffled people with what was being found. So yeah, it's just some like, there's a lot of like weird shit like we mentioned earlier. So pocket that, pocket that, do what you may with that. Another thing that's just really frustrating was this was like, I mean, it's just hard because it's like, okay, I guess I get it. But at the same time, it's like, what the fuck? So the crash site was completely cleaned up and gone within like hours. I get it because it's like a tunnel and stuff, but it's like you have a public figure, a princess who fucking died. People, investigators and other documentaries I watched, they were like, no, this should not have happened. Like they should have processed it like a crime scene to see if there was legit any evidence of foul play. Not just be like, whatever, he was drunk, okay, and be done with it. Like, they were like, no, this should have never happened like that. And fun fact, Mercedes did not want to fucking touch that car. They were just like, nope, nope, we're not looking at this. Nope, they they wouldn't. They refused to. So that's interesting. And stuff from the car literally went missing. We see that a lot too. There would be a French inquest done and... They ruled that there was no foul play. They pretty much were just like, well, Henri was drunk as fuck. That's what they went with. At the time, though, there was no, I don't know the proper name, but like no UK or no royal inquest for years, which was a red flag because literally, according to the Coroner's Act of 1988, if a body is returned from another country as she was, they are supposed to do it right fucking then. And they did not. Like, the inquest was done years later, way later, six years later, actually. So things got brought back up 2004 through 2006, and they had a list of issues with the inquest by 2007. Like, there's a whole laundry list. One of the wiki pages that will be on the sources page, you can go look through it, but it's like, what the fuck? The inquest officially began on, it says, October 2nd of 2007. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? Like, what the actual fuck? I don't understand. Like, famous public figure or not? That is just some bullshit. And 
Then it like they went on through 31st of March into 2008. Like they took their fucking sweet ass time ridiculous ridiculous no i agree i just think it's fucking bullshit like what the fuck man and you know that did a whole lot of fucking nothing so you can pocket all that shit for later sorry i'm like saying fuck 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 every two seconds it's fine sorry for you who let your kids listen but i know you said it's fine because <laughs> literally sorry i just have to like sidebar for a second like i remember somebody posted like they they were like yeah my kids sings or whatever and they're like before you judge me it's fine. I vetted it. But I just, it made me so happy. It makes me so happy that like kids sing the theme song. I think that's the cutest thing ever. Just mm-hmm. like. <laughs> People should record it and send it to us. Literally. I know. Ashley sent us a video before. That was so cute. So back to our story now. At this point, like I said, Prince Charles is there. Diana's sisters are there. And Diana's body would head back to England by 6 p.m. She would be taken to her home, that palace she kept, and essentially had a wake. But did anybody of the royal family fucking come? Nope. Paul was there. Just Paul. Yeah. None of the royal family fucking went, which in turn meant her kids did not have the opportunity to go to this part either, which is like fucking makes me mad. And Paul literally stayed there with her the whole damn night. Like when I'm saying he stayed with her body the whole time, he stayed with her the whole time. And it's just so heartbreaking. I like thought about it in the aspect of like, I got really, because I got, when I heard that, I was like, fuck, no one came. No one brought William and Harry. But then I also thought like, as someone who was near like younger children during like my mom and then my other parents' deaths, watching my niece and nephew go through it, there were times where like it was too much for them. So I'm wondering if that type of intimate setting may have been too much. And knowing that when they're walking the streets, they can have the royal duty because that's what they've been taught. I don't know. Like I can see that because I remember like my mom's best friend, we had like a like a, a viewing and she couldn't even come near her because of the fact that it was it was too much. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah. Harry and William say some stuff about the procession. And I'll get to that in a sec. Yeah, I honestly, I really hope that it was they were trying to protect them and help comfort them versus not giving them that opportunity. You know what I mean? Like, I really hope because like as shady as some of the shit is, I just really hope that like they truly were trying to take care of these boys. Like, that's just I think what anyone would really hope. You know what I mean? Regardless of how they felt about Diana or not. You know, it has to be a hard thing. Like, even though I look at Charles and I'm like, you're kind of junk. You're a junk human. (laughs) By the way you treated her, he still openly was grieving. Like, you could tell. Like, he was really sad. And, like, he would look at pictures or flowers and he would just look saddened. Mm -hmm. Because regardless of whether or not you thought that they were, quote unquote, like, unhappy, he spent 15 years of his life with this person. And he was raising children with this person. So yeah. don't think I'm going to be too nice to him later, guys. I'm going to no, no, no. I'll put my mean hat back on, guys. <laughs> and like we've explained, and many of you already know this, you know, she was the people's princess, like legitly. Like everybody fucking loved her around the world. And the world fucking mourned her, mourned this death, mourned this loss, you know, like the outpouring support and emotion. Like it's so much. And if you either weren't alive during that or really young like I was like just like honestly I'm not even being an asshole like just go on YouTube like you can see so many videos of people it's just it's a lot and again I'm trying not to be like 
bias or I hate you guys, you're trash. But it literally took them five days. It literally took until after they saw this stuff happening and saying they didn't expect this kind of reaction for the queen to publicly say anything. But again, it's like, is it shitty or is it they were really like they say they were trying to take care of the boys? You know, we aren't going to know because we are right. not them. That I, I just I'll be fair and say that I will be fair and say that. Also, to think about it, like, what is the protocol? Of right. That? She was technically no longer a member of the British royal family. The queen was not obligated to say anything. This and maybe true. the fact that the public was had such an outpouring, they felt more comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like to play both sides. Right. Because like at one point, I'm like, what are they fucking pretending? Like, no, they're just going to n- try not to say anything. Like, what the fuck? That was my right. initial reaction. I'm like, no, Tara, don't be an asshole. Of course, like, that's not the fucking thing. But yeah, it's but we just don't like, know. They could be. I mean, it fucking could be. Jesus Christ. Who fucking knows? But yeah, I, I, I truly hope that they were putting the boys as their priority, because if I was in that situation, I'd be putting my children as priority, obviously, you know. But like I said, the Queen does go on a live broadcast and she says, quote, We have all felt those emotions in these last few days. So what I say to you now as your queen and as a grandmother, I say from the heart. And then she said, first, I want to pay tribute to Diana myself. She was an exceptional and gifted human being. In good times and bad, she never lost her capacity to smile and laugh, to inspire others with her warmth and kindness. I admire and respected her for her energy and her commitment to others, especially her devotion to her two boys, end quote. And I'm pretty sure you can watch the whole thing if you would like. Also, since we are five days later, this is when the funeral would be held. It was an estimated one million people were lined up the funeral route, the procession from her home, which is, you know, Kensington Palace to Westminster Abbey, which is where, of course, the funeral was. And it was said that 2.5 billion people watch us on TV. Yes, billion with a B. And the there's, you know, there's pictures of the boys walking besides the coffin. And when I was reading about it, it describes it as striking and controversial. And in terms of this, they've both said, Harry said, quote, my mother had just died and I had to walk a long way behind her coffin, surrounded by thousands of people watching me while millions more did on television. I don't think any child should be asked to do that under any circumstances. I don't think it would happen today. And Prince William agreed and he said, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done that walk. It felt like she was walking along beside us to get us through it, end quote, which again, just heart-wrenching. And then like at the actual funeral, like her brother spoke. You can watch all of that. And basically he was like calling out the media and he said Diana was, quote, the most hunted person of the modern age. Elton John was there. He performed Candle in the Wind and changed stuff around with the lyrics for Diana and things like that. And then she was buried on a small island surrounded by a lake at Althrop at her family's estate in Northamptonshire, England. So that's where she was laid to rest. So I'm going to now hand it over to Jessica for all this conspiracy stuff. Yes, let's get past the point of the evening where we want to cry. Yes, we're done with the depress. Well, I mean, it's still depressing, but you know. (laughs) But now we can get a bit silly. Yes. Okay, so in my research, the really hard thing about conspiracy theories is like you really want to find something that outlines all of it. And I found a... Of all things, a Reader's Digest that had like 10 top conspiracy theories. So then I just built from there. 
So I have at least 12, guys. So buckle in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. First theory, which I think I had to put it, it, it was their number one, but I also would put it as number one, is that Charles couldn't remarry if Diana was still alive. And this is not a conspiracy theory. That was just fucking facts. Mm-hmm. It's a conspiracy theory that Charles had her killed so that he could marry Twiggy or whatever her name is. Twiglet. I don't know her name. I already forgot it. Tiggy. <laughs> Tiggy. I like Twiglet. It's like Piglet and like Twiggy put together. <laughs> also sounds like it could be a candy. It does. Right? Like, doesn't that sound like it's going to be some sort of like chewy, can- <laughs> like chewy gummy candy? Yes. Okay. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> Just really hope that's not a, like, actually after I said it, I was like, I really hope that's not an inappropriate word. Oh, God. Like, sometimes. I didn't think to check either. Oh, no. If it is, I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. Uh, okay. Anyways. Maybe. <laughs> sorry. Anyways. So. Charles did want to remarry, and historically he couldn't because of the Royal Marriage Act of 1772, which I did talk about a little bit in the last one. Is basically the seating monarch has to approve of the marriages of any descendant of George II. And if they don't, both houses of parliament have to. Like, if the queen is like, no, no, Charles, he'd have to convince both houses of parliament to vote. I'm assuming majority. And I don't think Camilla was liked that much. Mm, No. (laughs) I also found it very interesting because, like, the marriage act is no descendant of his late majesty, George II shall be capable of contracting matrimony for the previous consent of his majesty, his heirs, etc. Like, basically signed under the great seal, declared in council, and entered in the privy council books. Every marriage of such descendant without such consent shall be null and void. Like, that's so fucked up. Like, it's not just enough to be like, you can't marry who you want, but like, if you decide to go against our wishes, it doesn't count. Damn. The second part is, like, you have to be at least 25 years old. So, like, when he first met Camilla, he was only 21. So that's why Mm -hmm. he was too young. Mm -hmm. And the contract has to, again, be approved by his or her majesty and give 12 months notice to the Privy Council. This would contract the marriage. That's so crazy. And then also, like, again, if the reigning king or queen is like, no, thank you, you can go to Parliament. So the theory is that Charles wanted to marry Camilla. Now we know that there was another person apparently involved and that for him to marry her, Diana could not be living. And this is actually like, you can see this because in 1953, Princess Margaret, who is Queen Elizabeth's sister, she wanted to marry Peter Townsend, a divorced war hero, but she had to basically go bye-bye. Like, that relationship ended because he was a divorcee. Mm, mm-hmm. And Diana, of course, could remarry. Like, she was not a part of the British royal family. She could do whatever. Yeah. Right. I'm going to say, I do find them really unfair. Like, if the rules had stayed the way that they were, that would have been really fucked up. Because, like, she could have married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. And Charles couldn't do any of it if he wanted to ascend to the throne. So, that sucked. But that would change. In 2002, the Church of England started to recognize the marriages of divorced people. So Camilla being divorced and Charles being divorced, they could get married. They could, mm-hmm. It would be recognized. Mm-hmm. But in 2013, the Succession of Crown Act is an act of parliament in the UK that basically, short story, it did a couple of things. First and foremost, it changed that it would go to the first male. So like if Queen Elizabeth had had a... Didn't she have a brother? Mm. I can't remember. I don't know. UK listeners, let me know. Mm-hmm. 
I don't feel like looking it up. (laughs) (laughs) But for instance, Princess Anne, who is Charles's sister, Mm -hmm. is lower in the totem pole of ascending than her two brothers who are younger than her because she a girl and they're boys. However, every time Charles has an offspring and every time William and Harry have an offspring, so goes the succession line. It's very, like, if you're ever interested in that, like, the wiki page for the succession of the throne is actually really detailed. Hmm. And it breaks it down. So every time somebody pops out a child, I actually have a little theory about why Kate and (laughs) William had so many children. Because it's like definitely to push out any like other people. Because now Harry is sixth in line. How many kids do they have? Three. Oh, I only knew of two. See? Shows me a pandemic. I have it up in my Google. Mm -hmm. So it goes... Obviously, Queen Elizabeth is currently rocking that position. Then it goes Charles, and then William, and then Prince George, which is William's son. Then Princess Charlotte, and then Prince, I think his name is Louis or Louis. I think it's, I think Louis. it's Louis. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Harry, and then Archie. I got And gotcha. then that motherfucking Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the one, the, the man who is best friends with Jeff Epstein, like that part I know. Ugh, yeah. eighth in line for the throne of England. And that's not a problem? That's fucking scary. I don't understand. Right? But this is also why they don't travel together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember us talking about that. Mm -hmm. Like, William cannot travel with George. Mm -hmm. He could travel with Charlotte, I'm sure. But not George. Big deal when they (laughs) when William flew with Charles to to Australia. Mm. Because at that point, oh my god. Yeah. To go back to what we're talking about, the Succession Crown Act of 2013, it was whoever is the eldest child, regardless of sex, going forward would be. It also repealed the act, like, basically at this point, like, because when they got married in 2005, Charles and Camilla, he basically gave up the throne, I'm pretty sure. I think so, yeah. Which, okay, can we just take a moment? Like, he might be a dirtbag, we might not like him, he might have cheated on his wife a long time. But, like, that's commitment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, that you would give up the fucking kingdom to be with a woman. Go for Camilla. <laughs> <laughs> But I also probably thought he probably had, like, sight going forward that this was probably in the works. So the theory is that Prince Charles basically hired someone to kill Diana so that way he was free to remarry because as soon as he became a widower, even though he was a divorcee, but he became a widower, it didn't matter. Theory number two is that the royal family didn't approve of her boyfriend, Dodie. And this is a little trigger warning, guys. This conspiracy theory is all about race. It's all about the fact that he was Muslim and he was from Egypt and that the royal family were racist. And I'm saying this all with quotes. I want everyone to know that I'm not accusing anyone of anything. This is a conspiracy theory that I did not come up with. Mm -hmm. I think Dodie was probably a very wonderful person. And I'm very sad for his father because that broke my heart when I watched his father on, Mm -hmm. on the tapes who was just like, I can't believe this. Like, oh, my God, Dodie's father was like, we talk about Paul, but Dodie's father was like, I don't even know if this is real. Like, I'm going to find out. Like, I got to go. And I'm like, no, they knew from like the moment they got in the car that he was gone. Yeah. But basically what they, the dumb theory is that the British royal family got rid of Diana because she was most likely going to come back from France engaged to him. And that meant that the mother of the heir to the throne would be married to a Muslim. And this was just like, we just had Desert Storm. 
So people were being ignorant. Yeah. Also, this leads me into theory number three, is that the French doctors killed Diana to hide her pregnancy. And that, well, I shouldn't say killed her. Let her die, essentially. Let her die. No, I don't know if it's let her die. Someone wrote that. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Mm -hmm. I may have misunderstood it. I think what they're trying to say is that the French doctors lied about Diana's death and her status of pregnancy. Mm. But (laughs) there are conspiracy theories out there that the firm or the institution that runs the British royal family basically asked the doctors to let her die. Yeah, I've heard that one before. Mm -hmm. Which isn't like, I didn't make it a theory because I'm talking about it in this one. So with that, basically they say that because she was embalmed so fast that any pregnancy test that they would have done would come back as a false, could give a false negative or a false positive. So they're saying that they don't really know and that the doctors have not weighed in on it. And that this kind of goes with theory number two is that someone had found out that Diana was pregnant and that's why they were like going back and forth to like the apartment or whatever that someone had found out they were pregnant and they were like no because Diana was so beloved her child would eclipse the royal family so that is a theory that basically the doctors kept that the other theory is that Paul her driver was a informant for MI6 which has been toted around forever There was a former MI6 officer by the name of Richard Tomlinson, and he came out and basically said his exact words that it was eerily similar, like a crash that had already been like planned or was in a file for an assassination for a foreign politician, you know, because they get dossiers and stuff like that, that he had found this and it was eerily similar to her crash and that Paul, her driver, was part of the MI6 sting to do this and that he actually, like, saw the bright light and took that opportunity to drive into a wall thinking that he would live. Okay. However, no, there is no evidence that Paul ever was an MI6 agent, like, ever. Which I get, like, I watch intelligent shows. I know how that shit works. There's a little delete. You get a Garcia-type person who just deletes shit out of... Mm -hmm. out of context (laughs) and then but at the same time i just find it really interesting that a lot of this comes back to like her boyfriend that really it was more about reaching his father more than anything like hurting him i don't really know i don't get it like this kind of conspiracy theory like to me could happen i mean we talked about like weirder conspiracy theories with jfk but It always makes me really sad. Yeah. Conspiracy number five is that the Secret Service led Diana's car into the tunnel and then blinded the driver. Hmm. God, we just got our... If this is the American Secret Service... No, I don't think it is. I think it's MI6. I was like, please don't be the American Secret Service. (laughs) Every time I like see it, it says Secret Service. I'm like, no, because then the next conspiracy, like five is that. But theory six is the U.S. government was watching Diana. Oh, dear God. (laughs) Basically, the theory is, is that MI6 or the Secret Service led Diana into the tunnel and then blocked it off. And they did the bright light. Because if you see the picture, the final picture right before the crash, it's like Paul's eyes are like the biggest you've ever seen. The bodyguard is completely turned around into the back seat. Princess Di and, and Dodie are like looking out the back window. Paula is the only one facing out. 
And he looks just like, holy shit. But it's like, it's really creepy the way he looks, which does make me sometimes believe that he was drunk Mm -hmm. because it was almost like that, like, drunk guy, deer in a headlight, like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. that kind of shit. And then, of course, according to theory number six, is that the CIA was watching Diana and they made a decision and, like, they had intercepted calls between her and a Brazilian ambassador's wife and basically this made her more of a target and that they may or may not have either accidentally helped with this death or caused it themselves. I don't know what to say about that. I just think it's weird. Yeah. Theory number seven, as we talked about a little earlier, is that the driver wasn't drunk. There is this article which came out in 2012 and basically, it said that French pathologists faked the post-mortem results of Princess Di's driver to make him appear drunk when he wasn't. Because then it's a very easy out. Like, drunk guy, bright light, crashy crash. Yeah. I say that only because if I really talk about, like, drunk guy, like, killing someone, like, Tara knows this, not a lot of our listeners do, is that the man who raised me was almost killed in a drunk car accident. I may have shared it on the show. I can't remember. And so, like, for me, I don't understand how someone, like, a bodyguard let a drunk guy who's obviously drunk, if he's three times the legal limit, Mm -hmm. get in a car and drive them. Right. I could see him driving the getaway car. That would have been crazy. Like, how could he have driven and maneuvered and going that fast? I guess drunk people do it all the time. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. But at the same time, I'm just like... I mean, it's possible that his drug, his blood alcohol levels were normal and that they were rushing to get these done. And like labs make mistakes. They do. Just a weird story. I went in for like a checkup and got a call that I had like contracted something and was like super upset and then went into the doctor and they were like, uh, we just had two people with the first name of Jessica and they mixed up your file when they called you. And I'm like, cool. Been stressing for a few days, like, doctors there. Yeah, that's not nice. Mm. So it could happen. It could happen. And definitely check out the list of, like, the list of shit that came out of the inquest that were, like, ridiculous. Which one of them is whether or not Diana was taken quick enough to the medical treatment center. And we talked about this in Tara's part, too. You know, Princess Diana was basically in the ambulance for like an hour and they drove past two other hospitals to get to this one hospital that they had to go to. And I get that. Like, I get maybe like they were discharged out of it, but she's a high profile. I know this sounds fucked up, but I know that like if Jill Biden got into a car accident, fuck protocol, they're going to treat her differently. Mm -hmm. They're going to make sure that she gets, you know, taken care of quick enough. So I don't understand how, even though it was French protocol, these like paramedics protocol, like that they didn't go, shit, this is a world known celebrity. We have a contingency plan for this. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like there's got to be exceptions to the rule with this kind of stuff. There has to be. I just, I don't know. I don't fucking buy it, but that's just me. Why they didn't just drive into a hospital bay and be like, she's here and let doctors in. They were just sitting there. Like, they weren't communicating with the hospital. There wasn't, like, people waiting. Like, if it's all about getting her stable, there wasn't people, like, standing out waiting for her to get out of the... Mm. (sighs) Anyway. Tara touched on the next one in hers, is that the bodyguard may have known 
that there was a plan to kill Diana because Trevor Reese Jones buckled his fucking seatbelt and nobody else did. Nobody else did. So he's the only one to survive, which really shows you what this was. Like this was, this is a classic case of like, if you don't wear your seatbelt, you will pass away. Like you'll die. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Right. He was on that side of the car that fucking hit the wall. If I'm correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He did write a book though. It's called The Bodyguard Story. I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to listen to it if it's on audiobook. If someone else wants to read it and tell me about it, that's fine. I'm not going to. Because I do find this very highly fucking suspect. Mm-hmm. Like, if you watch any cop shows, cops don't wear seatbelts. Why? Because they got to get the fuck out of a car. A bodyguard has to get the fuck out of the car if... Suddenly, you know, they arrive at the place and they need to take, like, whatever it is, they have to be able to react really quickly. Apparently, he did receive threatening letters and calls, though. Interesting. Whatever. And now on to my theory 10 and on to my ranty stage of the evening. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) The paparazzi purposely set up an unsafe condition. Basically, Mm. I think that the paparazzi were out for blood. No pun intended. I think they were legitimately looking to cause some sort of mischief. And whether it was to, I don't think they meant it in like as big as like a big thing like that that happened. Or I don't think the results is what they wanted. But I do think that they saw her with her boyfriend. They're both very high profile people. And I think they were out there like, how do we cause the biggest fucking trailer crash fucking bullshit? That was like a weird thing coming out of my mouth, guys. How do we cause that? And how do we do it in a way that now we're going to be able to take pictures of it and it's going to like sell? I mean, because you have to think about the people, those paparazzis who didn't get their cameras, they sold that like around the world. When we were watching Framing Britney, like some of those pictures that they took of her sold for a million dollars. So imagine if you had a picture of Princess Diana in a car accident with her new boyfriend. Whether it was fatal or not, that was going to bring you money. And that's why I fucking hate paparazzi. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm so glad that I don't have paparazzi (laughs) in my life. They're just not good humans. They're just not good humans. Like, no. Mm -mm. How can you, as a person, put someone else's life in danger? I get that you want your fucking picture. But like, you know... They put her life in danger every single time they, I I don't know. I think of celebrities like, I know that we're not happy with Justin Timberlake right now, but I'm pretty sure he punched a paparazzi once because they were attacking him and Cameron Diaz when they were dating. And I honestly, I think about that and I don't blame him because if every single time I stepped out of my house, I stepped out of my studio, I stepped out of my place of work, there was someone there yelling my name, look over here, let me take a picture of you, I would fucking freak out. I also would probably pull a Daniel Radcliffe and wear the same clothes every single day. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> like, the smartest man in the world is Daniel Radcliffe because he really figured it out. Like, he could come and go as he pleased because, like, how are you going to sell that? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Run up next to him with a newspaper? It's today's day. Like, yeah. I guess it it's a job that people do but this comes back to the larger question of are we doing more harm than good by the way we consume media and we love this kind of shit and my answer is 100 percent yes we're doing way more mm-hmm. harm than good mm-hmm. to read us weekly or star magazine whatever those other tabloidies are sometimes people can cross a line too 
But I also think back to like, you know, like Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell, they have like a hard and fast line and they've like sued tabloids for releasing pictures of their children without asking. And their fans are vigilant. Like if you go online and you find a picture of their kid's face, it gets removed from Google Mm -hmm. or it gets like a circle slapped on it. Mm Because they are like 100% now. And that's where it comes down to. We talk a lot about consent today. And privacy, you have a right to privacy. And you need to be able to consent to having that. And just because you're a celebrity or you sing or you act doesn't give someone the right to follow you around. Yeah, 100%. Because it's like these celebrities, like what pisses me off is like, oh, well, they wanted to be famous. They asked for it. No, they fucking like, sure, they wanted to be famous, whatever. Or and a lot of cases they didn't and it just kind of fucking happens like Britney Spears it just fucking happened Mm -hmm. but it's like they're still human beings they're still human beings and this expectation that we have to know every single little detail in these people's lives like that is just fucking horseshit I don't care if you're a public figure if you're a celebrity whatever everyone's entitled to some form of privacy you have to fucking respect that for them I don't give a fuck if they are fucking Kristen Bell or they're some reality star like they still should have some kind of privacy if they fucking want it like it's just ridiculous a hundred percent a thousand percent agree and if they have a child with them Mm -hmm. fuck off like that that's the law gavin newsom if you're listening (laughs) (laughs) like make it illegal in california to take a picture of a celebrity's child without their consent and make it a fucking hefty ass fine mm-hmm. so that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, Tara and I, we, like, when we were, like, young, like, you think of, like, the Surrey Cruises and, the, like, Britney Spears kids. Like, their fucking faces were all over magazines, mm-hmm. all over, all the time. All of the Pitt kids, like, the Jolie Pitt kids, they were all in the news all the time. We knew their faces. We knew who they were. We knew what they were wearing. And I get, like, if when they went to a premiere of a movie and they brought their kids, then they stand there as a family and they pose for your picture picture that's different that's consent yeah them walking out of the dentist office mm-hmm. isn't consent like when their heads are down and they're clearly uncomfortable and i can't even imagine what it's like to be a child i said this on the fatalities podcast like courtney kardashian has like put a hard fast line where she's like you will not fucking take a picture of me with my children mm-hmm. she'll get fucking feisty and i'm like good for her mm-hmm. because even if like i don't have kids but like if i were to have children and i was the one who was a celebrity you don't have right to my children and technically like paparazzis like they try to break into people's homes they like they do crazy shit for a picture like i think ben affleck was like what unloading his car and they just stood across the street snapping pictures of him like how fucking ridiculous is that like we all unload groceries exactly why is it special for him because he plays batman apparently if he was outside in his batman outfit (laughs) unloading groceries yes please take pictures of that he's doing that for our camera Mm -hmm. but if he's like trying to with his kids like just unload groceries and just being a normal human why do we need to see that back to this case (laughs) (laughs) sorry these paparazzis like i'm sorry if you're a paparazzi and you were part of this case if you did this you're fucking trash Mm -hmm. and They actually did. I think at one point in time, they did take some of them to court. Yeah. Because they were legitimately chasing them. They weren't giving them space. They, like, 
obviously their flash was on. And I get why, like, I see the point of the flash being bright because you're trying to see into a dark car. But, like, did you not think that the person in the car was going to be, like, temporarily blinded? Right. It's not safe at all. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. Other innocent bystanders could have been killed. Like, we talk about, like, the people in Diana's car. But, like, what if Paul just decided, I'm going to slam on my brakes? And then a pileup happened. And not only did Diana and her car die, but like other people died. Okay. The other thing that was weird and my theory 11 is the absence of CCTV. So, you know, Mm -hmm. closed circuit TV. And it wasn't just that there were none, but it's that particularly where they were, didn't have any. Magic. Weird. So that was really highly sus. But there would be this very populated tunnel. This was like a very populated area. This is a place where you should have it. So it was a big deal that at the time, when this came out in 2006, that at the time there were 14 CCTVs cameras, but none of them recorded anything Hmm. about this crash. Hmm. Isn't that insane? That's sus as fuck. Right? (sighs) Okay. The next theory, and I believe this this is my final theory is the white Fiat and James Andenson. Basically, it said that the white Fiat left traces of paint on the Mercedes, which meant that they came in contact Mm -hmm. and that there was a possibility that this car, driven by this James fellow, was trying to cause the Mercedes to swerve, thereby crashing into the side of the tunnel. Hmm. And it was said that that Fiat was owned by a French photographer by the name of Jean-Paul James Andensen, who I just spoke of, and that he is most likely where the white flash came from, like his vehicle. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So the theory is that someone hired him to cause an accident. And again, like, he may not have known, but it is said that in May of 2000, he committed suicide. Oh, shit. Right. And that his body was found in a black, burnt-out BMW in the forest. (gasps) Oh, God. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't scream suicide to me. No. What, did he set it on fire and jump in it? I highly doubt that. I mean, maybe he... Or lit it from the inside? I have so many questions. I'm like, was the fire technically inside or outside? Like, oh, what? Oh my God, what is happening? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so it said that his death, he had talked of suicide by pouring petrol or gas in a car and lighting a cigar and then letting the cigar cigarette, like... Mm. Which I don't know about you, but I've like burnt my hand on a curling iron or a straightener or the stove. Like my mother-in-law has the like induction top and oh yeah, Tara is currently rocking a boo-boo. Yeah. In real time, I literally burnt the motherfucking shit out of my hand. I was in such a rush to go. I did a photo shoot for because I'm turning 30 this year. I was in such a fucking rush. I was like, got my curling iron on. Da, 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 da. I'm like, holy fuck, I have like five minutes to curl my hair and I have a lot of hair. And I fucking grabbed the barrel instead of the handle. It hurts so fucking bad. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah. I get it. Like the last time I burnt myself was I was making mac and cheese at my in-laws house and (laughs) I thought 
the part I was touching on her stove was <gasps> off. I went to swipe something really quick with my finger, like my hand off without a paper towel. Ooh. And I caught my pinky Christmas day. Oh. And so everyone's like, how are you? I'm like, burn my finger. Oh, no. I was not quiet about my pain. I'm like, I'm going to let it, it hurt. I don't know that someone would choose to kill them. Most people who choose to kill themselves want to get rid of the pain, Mm -hmm. which is why people typically do stuff that doesn't take too long for them to die. Mm -hmm. So, plus, that's a lot of fucking gas you got to pour on your car. Right. And, like, what happens if you light the cigar and it just doesn't ever do anything? Because you would also pass out from the fumes. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And the second you lit that shit, it would be like, Unless you lit it and then got it. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, did, like he lit it and jumped it. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. It's yeah. us and it's weird. Mm-mm. It said that he was in the driver's seat mm. and that his head was detached and was laying in between the two front seats. How? And that there was a hole in his left temple. <gasps> what? So... The French pathologists conclude this hole was caused by the intense heat of the fire rather than, for example, a bullet wound. Mm. I mean, the fact that you have to fucking clarify that for people, like, that's highly sad. How did his head come off? Uh, maybe it was cut off? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, what was their fucking explanation for that? Like, no. Oh, right? my God. Okay. All right. All right. I have no idea. Yeah, so, and and a lot of the sources that I have, like, you guys will read on the sources page, all point back to Dodie's dad. They're like, oh, this came from him, or that the other side, like, so he's being, like, he has other information, mm-hmm. like, so contrary to, like, his belief that this is what happened. It's just, it's like, it's so weird to me when things, like, we looked at, like, the Kennedy assassination, and we talk about how, like, everything was so neat and tidy, Right? Like how everything wrapped up in a nice little bow. They're like, Lee Harvey Oswald killed Mm -hmm. Kennedy. Done. We're good. And they never really look past it. I mean, the Warren Commission, which we all know (laughs) is my favorite commission ever. And the fact that this like inquest for Princess Di, like, are you fucking kidding me? They officially started it July of 2007. Like, that's so long. Bullshit. Right. Like, how could that even be a thing? Like, how could someone, that's 10 years. How is somebody supposed to remember what happened? I could barely remember things from like last week. Like, what the fuck? A decade. Or this morning. Uh, Yeah, true. That too. But a fucking decade? Come on. Fucking horseshit. Right. Horseshit. Now this is the portion where Jessica gets to tell what she thinks about conspiracy theories. I honestly think a couple of things. This is either a really freak accident where a woman was being chased by paparazzi and something happened and their car crashed and she died. I mean... To be completely uncharacteristic, she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. She wasn't traveling safely. She always did travel safely, too. And it's interesting that Henri Paul is the reason that they were going back, according to Dodie's father, that they had said, we're going to stay at the Ritz. And then he's like, oh, no, no, let's go. It's fine. I'll take you. I have this plan where we'll have a decoy car. It's just, it's weird. Then less than two miles from the Ritz, they're killed. It just, it doesn't make sense. And that it would be his car that's the one that's being followed when the decoy should have been followed. Right. I also think that there's a possibility, like after watching the Harry and Meghan interview and listening to the way that they talk about the firm or the institution that manages the British royal family, that they do what they think is best for the royal family. And if you look at it from the fact that they thought Princess Di was getting remarried... 
and that that would overshadow the royal family. That's one theory. Another theory is that they did it because they couldn't control her. Mm-hmm. Tara and I have talked about this and this kind of like her thought. Is that still your thought process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I don't think it's so clean cut that it's the paparazzi's fault. They are trash. Let me let me just that's the slogan of the series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, paparazzi are trash. Um, But if the Jeff Epstein stuff has taught us anything, it's that powerful, rich people can get away with some horrific horrific things yeah and the royals are so have all those boxes you know it's fucking terrible and you don't want that to be true but you have to be realistic i'm sorry so yeah it's either (laughs) they just you know somehow got quote lucky to have this problem quote quote taken care of or it was orchestrated and as much as i hate to say it i really kind of lean towards that i it's terrifying but it's very plausible a thousand percent i mean i was like looking at things and like one youtube video i think i watched someone was like How could someone get away with this? Or how could they kill a person? Because who's going to hold them accountable? Who the fuck is going to hold them accountable? Right, because they they literally control the inquiry. It took 10 years for it to get done. Which, by the way, like Tara mentioned earlier, it like has to be done like the day, like technically the day she arrived back in England, it it had to have begun. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it took almost over 10 years, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. The other thing is like, look at the royal family history and the fact that like, if you look at Henry VIII, he fucking killed all those wives and you can be like, oh, that's a different time and blah, blah, blah. No, he killed women. Time don't matter. Because nobody was gonna fucking stand up to him and say no you can't do this sir Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that like prince charles was like i don't want diana alive i don't think that was it Mm -hmm. i honestly always thought that he was sad that she was gone because of what it did to his sons and i think that i mean my theory with the royal family is that there's not a lot of love in it that they're a business they're a corporation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh god Everything that they do is based on, like, what's best for England, not what's best for themselves, which is why this, like, Harry and Meghan is such, like, a big deal. The fact that, like, Prince Harry lives in the same state as I do, which is fucking insane. It's, to me, it's, like, insane that, like, they do what's right by them because he chose his wife and son over duty to the throne. And it's become such a controversy. And fuck Piers Morgan. Just gotta throw that out. (laughs) (laughs) and whatnot but i mean technically megan is divorced harry is not her first husband which is you know if that act hadn't happened harry wouldn't be sixth in line for the throne he would be in a different column yeah i don't know i just i am saddened because i think like i think about covid and like what's happening right now and the world could have used someone like Princess Diana, who projected such peace and understanding and like, look what she did with the HIV and AIDS Mm -hmm. and what she did. Like she fucking like this woman is balls of fucking steel. She walked through a landmine infested field. And if she was around today, I just can't imagine that the world wouldn't be a better place. Right, exactly. Because look at like in those 10 years, all the work she had done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's 
been longer than that now. So, like, just think of what she could have accomplished for sure. It's just, it's a huge loss. Right. You know, not only for, like, England and everything, but honestly, the world. Right. And most importantly, her sons and their kids. Right. You know, and everything like that. Like, it's just, it's very heartbreaking. And it's just, it's one of those that's just kind of like really scary to think about with everything, you know? And I think like, especially with this, this is very different than what we've done before. So I felt like we both felt like it was a good one to discuss because, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like it either goes one of two ways. Like, People just try to talk all these crazy conspiracies or whatever. But, like, we really tried to make an effort to, you know, do what we always do and and tell her story. And it was really, like, I knew a lot about her, but it was really nice to have the opportunity to, like, deep research and learn about her Mm -hmm. as a person more. So, yeah. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this mini series. If there's any other ones out there that you've kind of like held off on requesting because you weren't sure if it would totally fit, like please submit it to us. We have a contact button in the link tree, all of that. Like definitely submit it. We would absolutely love that. But yeah, that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. We hope you all enjoyed our three-part series on Princess Diana and we will catch you on Thursday. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you.